Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Well, today we've got a longtime friend of the pod, Farrah Trumpeter, co-director and member owner at none other than Big Duck. And they are a strategic communications agency that I uh, also love, not just because they have an animal in their logo, but also recently became, I think it's member owned. Yes, we are a worker owned cooperative now. I mean, we'll get into many things because we're supposed to be talking about Giving Tuesday, which is exactly why I brought you in. But, but really quickly, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so Big Duck, for those of you not familiar with us, we have been around for uh, almost 30 years. We were started in 1994 by Sarah Durham, who I believe has been on your pod before. And Sarah decided to, after many conversations and lots of research, decided to sell the business to the staff in November of 2021. We're almost in our year of being a co-op. And so instead of, you know, when, when it's time for many founders to move on to the next chapter of their lives and think about the next chapter of an organization, they might sell the business to another agency or merge. They might decide to close lots of different avenues. One avenue is to look at selling the business to the staff and become becoming a worker-owned cooperative or something that's called an ESOP. Uh, for many reasons, it made sense for us to become a worker-owned cooperative. And basically, that means that now this we have, I don't know, maybe a dozen people who now own the business instead of one. Uh, and there's lots of different levels to our governance and decision-making. But in essence, one way is that when there are big things that need to be voted on in the company, every staff member... Uh, who's a member owner, has a vote and a voice in that process. If there is profit at the end of the year, that will be divided once we go through some costs and, and things that we need, but that will be divided by members equally, regardless of how long you've been at the business, what your job title is, what your position is. So it is a way to look at really kind of trying to bring a little bit more fairness and some distribution of power to the staff and to the organization. And uh, we worked, I should just say, we worked with an organization called the ICA Group, who were incredibly helpful to us in that transition. And if, if folks are out there and they're thinking about, is this a model I want to explore? If you're an agency or a for-profit business, I would talk to them. In the nonprofit world, you can't be worker-owned, but there is a whole like worker self-directed nonprofits that you could look at doing that. And this does start you know, getting into unions and other things that I'm not the expert on, but there are similar ideas of how workers can have more voice and rights in how an organization operates. That's... It's impressive. Uh, and also just having watched, uh, watched from afar and then heard uh, stories of it. It's, uh, I think there's, there's a lot there. You know, we recently had the news of Patagonia going to full share shareholder foundation. Uh, so it is, uh, becoming, uh, a reality. Not that that is necessarily the same, but you're seeing trends and, and organizations working out there. We talked to, we worked with a group called project equity for a while. Oh yeah. That was a group that we had also talked to. Uh, when we were trying to figure out who we'd work with on this process. Yeah, they're definitely, they, they especially work in that whole, the ESOP model, which is a different yeah. variation, but similar idea. Yeah. Well, now that we've given the audience a, a good look at what's possible out there uh, with regard to employee ownership, I'm curious, you know, you are three times as old as Giving Tuesday. <laughs> Giving I'm, Tuesday I'm, I'm almost five times as old as Giving Tuesday, but I appreciate you no, thinking no, I'm no, I'm big duck. 
Oh, big they, duck. Okay, thank God. I was like, well. Cut that, cut that, cut that. She's giving me the <laughs> We can do that again. No way. This is all left in. <laughs> so the 10th anniversary of Giving Tuesday, which is the day of giving, in case, I mean, everyone is hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, aware following that, you know, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, maybe, you know, whatever small business, brandy things during the weekend, Cyber Monday, and then the Tuesday to shift public adoption perception and hopefully commitment to giving. And when you look at Giving Tuesday, like what, like what emotion immediately comes in? Is it like, oh, we're doing this again? Or is it like, this is my Super Bowl? Like where, where are you on this spectrum? I'm much more a fan of the puppy and cat bowl of the Super Bowl. Obviously the cat bowl, <laughs> puppy bowl. They don't really have a cat bowl as much as cats would cooperate, but you know, in spirit. I mean, I think when it, when I first heard about it, 10 years ago, uh, and I've had conversations with Asha and Henry and some of the folks who started it at, originally at the 92Y, and now I think it's its own nonprofit. I really did love the idea of, can there be an international day of philanthropy? Can we create a movement that's not about selling and profits, but really about creating support and engagement in, you know, in movements and in charities and in nonprofits? And so the idea of it, and again, too, like going back to the 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 first Giving Tuesday, if you remember, there was a whole thing about the unselfie where they were also trying to um, tap in. That was like back in 20, 2012. Kids, these things were called hashtags. <laughs> They're right, exactly. <laughs> kids, there was this thing we called a selfie uh, that was newer in 2012. And so trying to get people to to sort of challenge this moment of of intense consumerism and focus on ourselves to something that was about giving back and trying to promote you know, other issues or get people involved in our issue. I really liked that idea of it. I also really appreciated to this day, Giving Tuesday from a branding perspective, which, you know, is a lot of what we think and talk about at Big Duck was meant to be a brand that other people can add to. They are just like, here's our logos, change it, make it your color, create. We worked a few years ago with a group called called News Revenue Hub, and we created Giving Newsday, which was about giving to independent newsrooms and nonprofit media outlets. People have done all different things, playing with the idea of Giving Tuesday, making it their own. And I love that Giving Tuesday kind of opened up their assets and their resources to that. So on one, like at the highest level from a concept, I love the idea of it. Now we can talk either now or later. The experience of it has gotten overwhelming. I think Voulet talks uh, talked about in 2015, this idea of the nonprofit Hunger Games, where nonprofits start competing against each other for limited for what feels like limited pools, they put it out there like, you have to give to us. We're better than X because of Y. And you do see some of that messaging, particularly in a moment like Giving Tuesday and at the end of the year during the quote unquote giving and holiday season. So the not intended, and I think is still something to look at and analyze and question. So I don't know if that was a spectrum between, you know, cat bowl and, you know, misery. I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> practically speaking, practically speaking, there are nonprofits that are listening right now and know that they have to give it the old college try. They have to put something out there. You mentioned that the brand assets of Giving Tuesday, you know, givingtuesday.org are essentially in many ways open source that you're like, take this, run with it. Obviously, we would be recommending people register there. They always like letting, letting folks know who's involved and keeping track of who's involved. What is it from a brand perspective? Is it like brand dilution? Are you worried about your brand showing up next to the, like, for lack of a better analogy, McDonald's of giving? And you're like, well, no, 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 we're unique. We want to be separate. We want to be 
our own identity. Like what is the risk of pulling in like an open source logo and campaign like this and having your brand parade or, and be presented on, on platforms uh, alongside others during a noisy period of time. And don't have data to support this. And I know that you are, the data, you are the data king and you're going to go. No, no, no. We got to balance our gut. About that's exactly. We're going to go with my instinct and, and experience in your data. You can be the chocolate to my peanut butter, George. Uh, <laughs> so I think giving Tuesday typically for most for most organizations and again into the, the consciousness of the people you're trying to communicate with is a 24 to 48 hour experience. There are definitely organizations who are right now are going to send out an email that's like, it's eight weeks to giving Tuesday. Save the date. Mark your calendar whatever it may be, that's okay. But most people are not thinking about Giving Tuesday until maybe around the week of Thanksgiving or that Monday or Tuesday. So the, the, the period of time in which you might be lean into Giving Tuesday branding and a little away from your branding is very limited. So I would say the risk is very low. And, you know, one of my clients, Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy, will kind of make a version of their logo that brings Giving Tuesday in, but it's, so it's like almost co-branded. And so it's using the assets and the ideas of Giving Tuesday, but still keeping their name and what they're about in it. And I think a lot of groups are doing that or they make their own Giving Tuesday logo that's in their color or, you know, using the sort of heart image that's like the primary logo and making it their own. But I do think like Giving Tuesday, to your point, is does have some, I don't know if it's as widely recognized as McDonald's, but in the nonprofit world, many people have heard of Giving Tuesday. When my mom starts asking me what Giving Tuesday is, then I know it's taken traction somewhere. Uh, my mom, who has never worked in the in the nonprofit sector and is just, you know, hearing from lots of organizations in her own use of Facebook <laughs> or Instagram. So I do think at this point, 10 years in, you know, Giving Tuesday is going to show up on the Today Show or on the news feeds of whatever people are consuming. So I think... I would probably lean into using that, but making sure it's clear that people are giving to you and not quote unquote giving Tuesday. Because I'm that geeky, I just looked up the comparative uh, McDonald's versus Giving Tuesday. And at peak, it looks like it's probably like 15X to 16X in terms of like McDonald's more searched for at least. <laughs> giving Tuesday. <laughs> I'm not surprised at those results. Is that is that, that completely unhelpful? Is that completely unhelpful? <laughs> You're like, stupid data. I, I don't think data is stupid. I just don't, you know, I don't yeah, have this. When, when I don't have those stats at my fingertips. <laughs> Why though? I will say that I think there is a definite upside when I look at the, the day of giving as a, a brand that brings attention to the act of philanthropy. Attention is critical. I think it primes the pump, but if I were to say like, should I bet everything on that day or how much I should invest? It's like, you know, I'd say have a pulse, be participatory because it raises, you know, it's a rising tide situation. And I think that especially for normalizing giving as part of the balanced diet of, you know, being a part of your community is important. I mean, it's what churches classically would do and do quite effectively. And I think there's something that is nice for it to be a broader idea of adoption. I agree. And I, I do think again, and, and we'll, we can talk about this, like when we hear the word giving, I think, especially in a nonprofit space, we're often going right to giving financially, but there are other ways people can give. There are other ways people can participate. And again, I think if you're out there trying to think about what do I want, do I want to engage in Giving Tuesday. And if I do, it doesn't have to be, you know, six emails in a 24 hour period saying, please give us $25 or like flooding, you know, every hour, you know, 
showing up in Instagram stories or Facebook with a donate button, you know, or now you can give on Venmo. There can be charity profiles on Venmo. I just read that, you know, today or yesterday. So there's lots of places where people can give to you. And yes, giving financially is important, but there's other things that people can do or things you can ask them to give beyond finances. And I think that can be another way to celebrate, quote unquote, Giving Tuesday. Yeah, the action, the volunteering, that has definitely been on the rise uh, as a part of the day. You know, in, in terms of adoption, though, the numbers have gone up, you know, and year over year, those, those stats are real. So in 2021, uh, I think it was about 2.7 billion uh, being raised, which is 9% up and, you know, uh, crack 3 billion officially this year. We looked at, we looked at numbers, we threw some dice and we think 3.2 billion is a number, but I, uh, I came across an article though, from your approach, which was like, actually don't fundraise at all. Do this other thing. And I was like, what? Well, not necessarily don't fundraise at all. It might be a yes. And situation you might fundraise. And or you might think about how to challenge this kind of fighting competitive nature that can happen during the end of the year and on Giving Tuesday with a how can we take a moment and approach Giving Tuesday with a more collective lens, which is the name of the blog that I wrote in September. That was the kind of, you know, the precedent for this conversation. And in essence, what I've started to see more and more organizations in part, I think, sparked by the community-centric fundraising movement, have really started saying, can we use our space to amplify and bring in others? How do we think about our mission as part of a greater space of other missions? So if my organization is trying to end breast cancer or feed more people or provide safety and shelter for survivors of intimate partner violence, who else is like involved in that ecosystem or constellation of other organizations that are doing that thing? and are connected to what my mission is and seeing ourselves you know again as part of broader missions and also seeing seeing our, ourselves as being an educator to our donors to say hey it's great that you support us guess what you can also support these other organizations so for the past few years and especially on giving tuesday i've been seeing organizations kind of share the spotlight talk about other groups that are related to their mission that they think their donors might want to support or organizations they've worked with that have been their partners that they want to highlight. And they say, on Giving Tuesday, we want you to know about these groups, you know, give to them, sign this pledge, take whatever this action in, and actually use their platform, their social media space, their emails, their website, whatever it is they want to lend to shift and to talk about other groups. And so this blog that we were talking about, I tried to highlight some examples of that that happened in 2021. I believe, I don't, you know, I don't have, it's not the three, the, whatever the $3.2 billion version is. I don't have a prediction of what percent of organizations will see taking a much more abundant mindset and a collective mindset, but I do hope we'll see more of it. And I think, I do think in 2022, remember in 2021, there were two Giving Tuesdays. There was the Giving Tuesday that always happens the, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. And then in May of 2021, there was Giving Tuesday Now, which was the first Tuesday in May that was particularly created in 2021 in response to COVID and to generate additional support for COVID relief and COVID organizations. So in 2021, quote unquote, under the Giving Tuesday requests. So I do think a lot more groups last December or November, whenever Giving Tuesday was last year, did start talking, like taking this collective mindset. And I do think we'll see more of that in the upcoming, you know, November Giving Tuesday coming up next month. So there, 
I, I don't know if you remember, like in 2020, there was, there was a number of brands that actually started doing those sort of like, we're all in this together type advertising. But then also I began seeing like brand actual studies of when like, you know, competitors in the like B2C space would be like, well, you know, it's time of Christmas. We think that like every burger deserves a taco and like we support you McDonald's, right? Like that's kind of thing. But then there were these like research you know, sentiment analysis done being that like, when you do that, your own score goes up. So like, not to turn it into something as like a selfish tactic, but I could imagine a positive byproduct of, by pointing to others, you actually get more individually. Yeah. I mean, I think people will be worried about, well, if I talk about these three other nonprofits on Giving Tuesday, and now my, my donors or people in my community know about them, now they're going to follow them on social media, get on their list give to them and not give to us, right? That's that scarcity mindset that we've been trained in the nonprofit industrial complex to have. But I do think, I do believe that there will be many people, many donors, many followers, many people on your email list who are like, wow, thank you. I didn't know about this organization. You've now actually broadened my understanding of who else is out there. You've given me something else to do. I now see extra value in you and I'm gonna keep coming to you to give me that value. So I do think, you know, and I'm a, I'm a glasses half full kind of person. I do think there will be a, there's a, will there be, you know, a percent of donors who now never give to you again? Maybe, but that same percent of donors might not have given to you because you emailed them three times in a 24 hour period. Like sometimes we have to try new things and do what's right over what may be something that we know a hundred percent is going to guarantee a certain result. Yeah. So to put a finer point on what the the strategy here, the the approach that I think you're sort of framing it as like collective lens or a collective campaign, which is essentially pointing to the people around you uh, rather than at yourself. And then maybe even saying like, all right, look at your, uh, your systemic pipeline of social cause that you deal with. Can you look upstream? Can you look downstream? Can you look at partners? So let's just be honest. If your name is like drastically similar to another organization that does something similar to you, like I wouldn't maybe say do and say like donate to them and like cause confusion, right? Just I, I'm very practical, maybe to uh to a fault. But it sounds like there's great opportunity to helping your donors understand the entire cause pipeline, the systemic root causes and uh downstream impacts and then picking out great organizations and saying, hey, you know what? We'll ask when it's time, but right now it's time to help others. Yeah. And again, sometimes what you're, the, the spotlight you're shining may not be one of fundraising, might be one that's like, take an action, sign a pledge, mm-hmm. write on this, you know, fill out this petition, take this quiz, help this organization build X, uh, highlight volunteer opportunities. If that's like what, you know, again, what does your audience care about? What's going to motivate them? What are they looking for? And the more you can provide value to your community, the more likely you'll hold on to those relationships and grow them. And sure, if, you know, I might not be talking about, you know, giving to Big Whale, just kidding, uh, <laughs> instead of Big Duck or connecting with us, that might get confusing. And we can talk about like, you know, uh, you know, look at that. But for the most part, I wouldn't worry about. There are you know, hundreds of millions of organizations, initiatives, projects out there that people can connect to. I'm sure you can find plenty to spotlight. If you really think Mm -hmm. about who are the players in our ecosystem that are really essential to getting our mission done, who do we, who is really important? I've also seen organizations who've highlighted, you know, um, 
many organizations have done stuff where they've highlighted indigenous communities if they want to sort of give back to the communities they're working in and as a form of reparations have highlighted those organizations. So they might not work with them, but they think it's an important time to acknowledge that and try to generate some support for those organizations. So it doesn't, you know, there's lots of different ways you can think about it. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the practical messaging piece, you're like already hinted at like, oh, have some folks already said like, put it on your calendar, invite like all the like tips and tricks that we've all (laughs) written about at this point. The way that this would be messaged in a way that doesn't trigger fatigue, like, frankly, you're going to be sending out a message one way or the other, most likely around the day. And I was talking to a friend uh, who is not in the nonprofit industry. And I mentioned giving to and he's like, just the look, he just he gave off this look of like, not that I'd like turn off my everything. And I'm so exhausted about being asked. And, you know, that's an N of one clearly. Oh, what is your recommendation when you're talking about strategic communication with regard to you know, we're walking into a very uh, noisy period, but also you can't be quiet either. I mean, two things I would say specifically in terms of the spirit of collective, the collective lens or, or trying to be part of something bigger. If you're going to share with your audience and your community, different organizations to either give or participate with, explain why, like, why are you highlighting this one, two, three organization? The other is you don't have to do it in every single communications channel. Maybe if this is a year you want to try it, maybe on social, maybe on Twitter and Instagram. You're talking about some peers and partners, but you're still sending out two emails on Giving Tuesday to give to your organization. So you're doing kind of both. In social media, you're taking this collective spirit, but through email, you're just still focusing on giving to you. You don't have to go like right away to the deep end. You can you can kind of dip your toe in and try try a little bit of this. And similarly, even broader with Giving Tuesday, if you've seen your open rates and your click-through rates plummet, you know, here's where I will give a little shout out love to the data, George. You know, when you're trying to figure out what you should do in 2022 for Giving Tuesday, go back and look at 2021 and 2020. Granted, again, 2020 and 2021 had their own things going on, which make that data, you know, you can look at 2019 too, if you've been around for a while, take a look and see, you know, what was happening on your, your open and click-through rates, what was happening on your donation page and the conversions in November, October, November, December in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Are there any trends that you're seeing? Because I have done that with organizations and we'll be like, wow, your open rates are really plummeting. Maybe we should send a few less emails. Or, wow, your open rates are pretty solid, but your click-through rates have gone down. Maybe we need to try for something shorter. Maybe we need to do something different. Uh, We need to do more image-oriented emails rather than long text, like whatever it may be. Maybe it's trying to test something different. So should I do something different for Giving Tuesday? Should I do more or less? What can you learn from what you did? And what what are the insights for that? And then think about 2022 as a year to try something. You don't have to completely throw everything out the window and not do anything you've done before, try something new and different uh, would really just be what I would encourage. But I'm sure you've got some other insights on this, George. It's a brutal question because classically it's, you know, how long is a piece of string in some senses, you know, their <laughs> entire market of nonprofits cannot be bundled into, into one. Uh, but it's clear that, you know, if, if you're moving from zero to one versus one to two, in terms of I've never done this before, this is the first time, here we go versus I'm refining something that has happened before. And I always try to put it in the context of that, you know, this is the kickoff to the giving season. This isn't the main event. Don't make this the main event. 
which like if you ask me to give like the one answer, like this is not the main event. It's the appetizer. I mean, the other thing to think about, depending on your organization and your mission and your list, again, I'm always going to come back to who's hearing from you, who are you communicating with? They may also be getting a lot of messages in November and October around midterms. And if you're that are particularly politically oriented and are paying attention to that, and then we don't know, we don't know what things are going to look like um, as a result of the of election day this year, that's going to impact the giving season one way or another for organizations too. So I would also kind of try to factor that analysis in as I'm trying to determine what I should do. And I guess I have this sort of greater good vibe about messaging, which is that for every email you're sending out there, every post, every push, you're raising that collective awareness, that din of attention around normalizing philanthropic giving, which by some reports is actually decreasing in terms of participation, yet increasing in dollars given. A fancy way of saying we got a lot of rich humans writing really big checks so we can miss sometimes on understanding participation. And what I I'm a little concerned about as I was doing some of the like the num number crunching and silliness is that actually over the past, you know, since you know, since 2018, we haven't reached the same type of peak uh search and interest. Albeit the total donations have been going up, but I haven't been seeing what I thought had happened or would happen if you were to throw me back in the hot tub time machine. I'd have been like, oh well. I imagine giving is going to increase each year. And I imagine that the overall, you know, the zeitgeist, the search, the interest, the anticipation would also increase. And it isn't. And maybe I mean, only I in one think, factor, but. Yeah, I do remember reading, I don't remember if it was from 20, it might've been from 2020 data that Giving Tuesday put out a report. And I think what they saw was that like the biggest growth on the two ends of the spectrum, they saw a lot of smaller donors, like an increase in people giving small gifts and an increase of, some big gifts. So the, those numbers may still be overall, to your point, like the numbers may have gone up or participation has gone down, but where has participation increased or shrunk? I do think is worth taking a, like going down a notch. And again, here's where I'd say it's helpful to see this, this national and international data, but look at your data. What happened with your yeah. giving? What happened with your list in 2019? I'd go back to 2019 in 2020 and in 2021. And keeping in mind, there's a lot of things that happened in 2020 and 2021 that that data is like, it's it's not gonna be year over year in a quote unquote traditional way. I don't know if 2020 to 2023 will take a more what 2018 to 2019 was. I think we yet to see how one, if not two or three pandemics, like we're still in this moment. It doesn't feel as acute as Maybe March 2020 did for many of us, but there's still a lot going on and impacting people. There is fears of a recession looming that might also impact how people participate in this year's Giving Tuesday and year-end season. This sector's fun. <laughs> not, like, to, not to end on a <laughs> This sector's fun though, really. We're having a good time with it. Oh, uh, So I would say in, as, as you go into like the end of the year, like with looking at the, the numbers we're predicting, and then also just you're at the the whim of like, you know, international wars, <laughs> yeah, economics, yes, and economics. Like, so like one of those sad facts is it's like I'll you know show me what the market did in December, and I'll show you how your end of year was like impacted plus or minus a point or two. But I would say, yeah, I mean it's like a story of larger givers and how you're nurturing that. But I'm still for I'll 
I'll choose to be forever optimistic about the day. And I think there's just a lot of conflating factors that are, you know, borrowing attention around that time. But I think it is a, I, th- I believe it is a net positive and I'm really, I'm interested, deeply interested in this collective lens tactic. Uh, I think there's actually a lot there and it's backed by research that I've seen in the for-profit industry, which, you know, frankly, you're like, what, what relationship is that? But it, you know, sold more tacos, right? <laughs> and that's not necessarily what we're here to do, but I think you could do, uh, it's like a, it's a double bottom line positive for, uh, for a tactic. And I don't even see that. So I was. No, but again, if we, if we think about our mission or our vision as something bigger as, you know, again, making Brooklyn safer, making, you know, it easier for people to, you know, understand a certain thing, ending the stigma of serious mental illness, embracing fat positivity and challenging norms, which shame people for body size, like all these different issues. And we think about our work as part of something bigger and not just about our specific organization. I do think it helps. It will help us build again, coming back to branding. Part of branding is about partnerships and is about like the the associations you have, right? And if you have strong associations with other organizations, they'll send people to you, you'll send people to them. And ultimately, I hope, we'll be able to accomplish those missions or visions in bigger ways. And that's what it should be about. All right. In lieu of rapid fire, because I feel like we have, we've done that in the past, unless, unless you have new uh, substantive answers to rapid fire, uh, how many emails for Giving Tuesday do you actually get? Because I know you have been in the industry for a little oh my while. Gosh. I have. I've tested a number of email systems. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, I don't even know. I will I will sadly say that um you know both personally and professionally I am on Google Suites, which means that my inbox, so my big duck email goes through Gmail and my mm-hmm. personal email goes through Gmail and whenever they created that promotion tab ability, I clicked it. And so sadly I miss a lot of those emails. So I get I don't know. I, I'll, I'll actually get back to you and let you know what the number is, but you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands. No, I don't We're know. Good. I'm, sure, I know that. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's in the, you know, it's definitely in the thousands for all the emails that I'm on, but how many do I actually see is a smaller number. And again, remembering that email is still one of the best forms to get donations because it goes, usually it's a direct action to our website or to whatever payment processing, as opposed to when somebody's scrolling and they see something on social, but social is also really important to show up in. And of course, or texting, right? Texting still, while I definitely get spam in my text box, <laughs> if you call it that, I don't know what you call it. You know, there still are higher open and click-through rates by people who engage in texting. And that hasn't gotten saturated the way the email inbox has. And a lot of groups will do fundraising asks or, you know, thank you messages. You can also do on Giving Tuesday, just say thank and engage your, you know, your community. So I don't know. I think you got to check out all of these things, but consider how all of these things work together, but also think about these channels uniquely. And you may take a slightly different approach or tactic based on the communications channel. Well, thank you for, for sharing. I appreciate uh, bringing new ideas. And I, uh, I may be trying to keep an eye out for more of these examples for it. of the, the collective, uh, collective lens approach. I've seen it the most on Twitter, but I'll be excited to see it show up in other communications channels too. All right. Well, good luck this season. Good luck, everyone. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. 
If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 